Eat up with tax, don't know what to do The Bryson's are here for you We know every tip and trick A serious tax talk with a Louisiana twist well, hello there. It is great to see you again, and welcome back to another installment of Talking Tax. I am your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff, and as always, we have the stars of our show in Mr. Kerry and Miss Angie Bryson of the Bryson Law Firm, and we have a special guest joining us today from the Bryson Law Firm as well, Miss Jessica Thibodeau, one of the attorneys over there. We're going to be diving into all things tax-related issues today, particularly the post-resolution you know, ancillary items that really pop up. So if you've caught our last few live streams or episodes, podcast episodes, whatever you want to call it, if you caught it with us, you'd know that we've been kind of walking through a deep, you know, kind of tutorial really of, of the different steps and phases along, uh, you know, the overall Bryson result, you know, tax resolution process. We had their discovery meeting monitoring and compliance. We moved in to the tax resolution process and today we're really rounding things out and these ancillary items. So we're going to be discussing a, what these are, uh, really how they pertain to given tax related issues and really how the Bryson's law firm can ultimately assist in getting this wrapped up for you to ultimately get this tax burden, this, this issue that's been weighing you down in your life get it out of there uh, and and be able to move on beyond it. So with that being said, let's go ahead and bring the team on and get today's conversation rolling. Carrie and Angie, it's good to see you. Jessica, welcome aboard. Hi, thank you. Hey, Ryan. Good morning. Morning, morning. Good, Always good to be with you guys. Today, we are diving into post-resolution ancillary items. First and foremost, Carrie and Angie, I think it would be helpful for any of our audience out there who may be a scratch of their head, what the heck is an ancillary item? Give us that high-level overview. What are these things? What are we talking about? And how do they play a role in a you know in a tax-related issue? Uh, you know, there there are two big ones. Uh, there's always ancillary items in, in in any litigation. You know how to button everything up. But for us, the two big ones are um, lien relief. How do we handle the the, the lien? Um, we can dive into that a little deeper. And then, uh, can we save clients um, money with penalty abatements? So, which basically um, arguing before the IRS, hey, look, you know, we're, we're going to pay this tax. We, we've, we've reached a resolution. So can you help us out with these crazy penalties that have been tacked on to our bill? Uh, those are the two big ones. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, the lien is always a big, big, but big one, but penalties are huge as well. Roger that. So it sounds like to me, it starts with kind of that first phase in this process, really, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but kind of that submission of the ancillary request. That's where it all begins. When it comes to the client seat, because I know a lot of our conversations are client centric, we want the people out there to know what their involvement looks like in this process. Where does, you know, what does a client's involvement look like in that first phase here of, of the submission of that ancillary request? I mean, it depends on the ancillary request. I mean, what we're trying to do in this phase is really, as Angie, you know, called it, we buttoned it up to file. We've got to close it up because the IRS, you know, of course, is notorious for, okay, yeah, we'll agree to that penalty abatement, but it never gets implemented. So we got to make sure everything is implemented. So, uh, but at this point, this is when we we're going to decide. And we already know pretty much early on from meeting with the client and having to discuss with them. Uh, you know, and we'll make notes in our files as we go. Well, that was a great penalty abatement. They have a penalty abatement for this year because a hurricane came through or or something happened in their life that would cause them to have a great penalty abatement for that for that period. You know, or the lien. The lien is a big struggle with it. You know, we've we got to be able to move on. We've got to be able to borrow money. We've got to do this or that. So we know lien relief. We've got to address the lien. 
but that's always going to happen after the resolution is kind of in place and going. Then we'll address these ancillary matters to kind of really finish the file, you know, wrap it up in it, put a nice little bow on it and, and get the client back to their life, uh, you know, living, a, li living the life as they want to live. So. Sure. Sure, sure. And this is, I mean, hey, at the end of the day, this is the ultimate goal. That's why they sought your help out in the first place is to get this burden off of their plate. Uh, I want to unpack each of these two, um, you know, factors that you guys mentioned or ancillary items. The first being penalty abatement. You also mentioned lien relief. Let's start with penalty abatements. For those that maybe aren't as familiar with those overall options for tax resolution that we covered in a prior podcast episode, give me a high level overview. What is a penalty abatement, you know, or an abatement of penalties? Talk, talk us through that and then really how this comes into play right here as we're kind of nearing the finish line for somebody. I, I think Jess could pitch. Yeah, we'll pitch it to her. To she's she's our, a, that's our a perfect expert. pitch to Jess there. <laughs> okay. I've done a lot of penalty abatements uh, here at Bryson Law Firm. Um, I think it's important to kind of understand that a penalty abatement is something that we really don't have to pursue in every case. You know, if our client received some sort of offer and compromise, you know, where we settled the entire tax debt for overall, you know, substantially less. We're really not too concerned with what the penalties and interest are at that point. Or if we were able to resolve the case by, you know, monitoring for expiration dates and the taxpayer ended up not paying, um, you know, their tax balance in full, those aren't great cases for a penalty abatement. So the, the most frequent cases that I think we make these requests on are when the taxpayer ends up in an installment agreement, some sort of affordable monthly plan that we've been able to negotiate into place. Um, but they have some reasons as to kind of how they got there, how they fell behind. And, and that's our opportunity to go and then try and get some savings in that way. Um, there's two different types of penalty abatement. Um, so under the IRS's Fresh Start initiative that you hear about so often like on radio advertisements and things like that, they have something called a first time penalty abatement. So if a taxpayer has had fantastic compliance history, you know, on all of those prior years and maybe fell on hard times in one year, maybe they had to take money out of their 401k, you know, because they were laid off or, you know, in a financial situation and they owed back taxes, the IRS is usually pretty willing to consider some penalty relief um, solely on prior compliance. So you really don't have to throw out a lot of different reasons as to why they're entitled to this relief. So I think that's the first one um, and really helpful for taxpayers who, like I said, kind of have a very one-time isolated tax problem. Mm -hmm. um, any other type of penalty abatement, particularly on multiple tax years, um, is going to require that you can show the IRS kind of what happened in those years? Like what was going on that caused you to be unable to timely file and or pay on your taxes? Um, and they don't typically have any like bright line definition. Like here is your laundry list of the reasons that we are willing to accept it. Um, it's a very broad definition. It's kind of um, would other people in a similar circumstance, even if exercising all of your necessary and ordinary business care and prudence, have still been rendered unable to tackle their tax obligations timely. Um, I think the big reasons that we often see, you know, in our line of work um, is, you know, maybe a close family member passed away, you know, and that family member 
was sick for a long time. And so, you know, gathering records and getting information was a challenge. Natural disasters mm-hmm. are a really big one for our office. You know, yeah. like they lost everything in a hurricane or, or some other type of flood or natural disaster. And uh, we've had our fair share of those over the years. So, you know, that's a big one. Um, you know, business theft, unfortunately, we've seen some of those where, you know, a business owner may have been taken advantage of by a, a bookkeeper or something like that. And a lot of times in our, when we really get into like having the conversation with the client as to the why, it's a combination of a lot of those different things. Like I can think of one where we had a professional and he was very ill and he was traveling to, you know, out of state for treatment. And while all of those things were happening and he wasn't in his office day to day, a bookkeeper was stealing from him and not doing what they were supposed mm-hmm. to. So um, we really kind of have to look at the totality of the circumstances to compile that request to the IRS. Yeah, it sounds to me, and, and we've touched on this in so many episodes in the past, Jessica, and you know this, it really comes back to keeping documentation, keeping records, understanding the importance and the weight that they carry in some of these arguments with the, you know, when you're making these requests to the IRS. So good, I appreciate you kind of shedding some light on the fact that, you know, penalty abatements, while yes, they are a strategy, it does take records. It takes document that documentation. It also takes a unique set of circumstances to help you get that granted uh, for you. You know, it's the one-off tax issue isn't necessarily going to, um, you know, help, help you qualify really uh, for that penalty abatement. So so we've got penalty abatements there on on the one end when it comes to the ancillary items. But on the second side, you guys mentioned lien relief. And I know, you know, liens and levies, we had had a whole episode just diving into liens and levies in the past because there's a lot to unpack within them. But uh, Bryson's, let me throw this over to you here. Uh, give us a high level overview on what we're talking about here with a lien for those who are unfamiliar with it and, and just why this is uh, such an issue uh, that can be presented in somebody's life if if one gets put on them. For me, you know, liens, people need to understand that a lien is the IRS's way of protecting its interest, essentially, um, in your, mostly your, basically your immovable property. So your house, land, things that, um, you know, people associate with a set necessary, mostly a mortgage. So it's like an IRS is taking, the IRS is taking a mortgage um, in most circumstances, you give the person like a lender a mortgage, but they go and take it. Um, they are the super creditor. So once the IRS files that lien, it is a passive way. And this is the big difference, be, kind of to circle back on the levy lien issue. Um, it's a passive way for them to say, hey, um, you know, Angie Bryson owes taxes and uh, she's not going to be able to sell this piece of property or whatever property is located in that parish or county if you're not a Louisiana resident. Um, you can't sell that property without handling the lien. Um, so it's a passive way to protect their interest and to preserve their position so you don't go borrow money and let somebody, you know, another lender um, leapfrog them. That's the big takeaway. It's passive. Uh, so we get a lot of calls where people say, oh, am I going to lose my house? Um, the IRS filed a lien. Uh, I mean, in theory, you can, but in practicality, no. But it is just a way for them to protect the interest of, of the IRS. And so as an ancillary matter, uh, we've got to look at that and see if we can assist our clients with getting the lien removed or at least advising them on what that lien would mean for them at the end of their resolution process. So, and I mean, I'll let Carrie talk a little bit more about the 
complexity of that. It's not always an option. <laughs> or necessary. Yeah. Well, or necessary. Well, it's, it's rarely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of actually rarely an option once the lien's in place. Right. Um, you know, there are certain there are certain resolution options where potentially you could you could get a lien removal. And if that's the client's desire, I mean, if that's their 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 pressure point or their pain point is that that lien is causing them their business to not be able to operate correctly. Then maybe we have to, you know, focus on more of that type of relief for them, uh, which may require them, you know, because there's certain programs you got, you know, you, if you only owe sure. certain, you can get the lien off. So they may have to pay, may buy it down. Uh, buy down the pay the liability down a little bit before we can put them into that certain type of installment agreement to get the lien off. Um, so yeah, I mean it's all got to be considered. But but uh, did I answer your question? I don't know what question you. Want yeah, to no, I mean, <laughs> I, think, I think managing expectations with regard to liens, uh, and we do this a lot. If we as attorneys and really no one, we have and we tell our clients this from the get go. I know we can all vouch for this. We really have no control or predictability on when or if the IRS is going to file a lien. Uh, I mean, it, it, honestly, um, sometimes, you know, Karen, I looked at two or three files yesterday, you know, active files and the clients owe taxes from way back, like, you know, early 2000s and significant, you know, dollars uh, and no lien is filed. I mean, and it's never been filed. And so, it's not an issue for these clients. However, you know, if we jump in and start moving the file around, it may prompt the IRS to file a lien. So we hmm. those are things to be mindful of. It's it's not an ancillary item in the sense that we're wrapping up the file, but it is something we consider while we're working on 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 the file. But you know, the the other thing is um, once it's filed, um, we've got to advise advise our clients. Okay, you're going to be in a payment plan and it. it Look, the lien's going to stay here until you get, you know, the the balance to a certain amount, and then we can mm -hmm. request removal. Right, right. That was my next question. Was like, what does it take to really get that lien removed? Because I mean, hey, it, it can work its way onto your credit report. It can it can inhibit you from doing things, big things in your life. So yeah, what what? How do you get rid of a lien? Well, I, I mean, there are you know a couple of ways to get rid of it through through just a, a pure lien removal process. I mean, obviously, you could pay the tax. Uh, on that, uh, you know, the, that 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 on the account of the, the year that's subject to the lien, you know, they can pay that that lien uh, that tax. Obviously, if you pay it, it's good, they're going to take it off. They should, and sometimes they don't, and you have to go through process to get it off. Um, you can also uh, ask the IRS to subordinate, um, which is which is to, to subordinate the lien. But um, maybe you want to borrow money on this piece of property. But usually when you do that, the IRS, it, it's with the understanding that that's part of the resolution process, that the money that they're that you're going to get on the loan from that property is going to go to the IRS. So they will reduce their lien or, or they'll keep the lien, but they'll reduce it to the bank uh, who's going to loan the money. Um, and like I said, the withdrawal process is if once the balance gets to a certain amount, the taxpayers are entitled to go get the lien to ask that it be taken off if they're, if they're in compliance and they're paying their, their deals. So there are ways to get it off, but, you know, in no way would I ever tell anybody that this is an easy process. This is kind of very hard. Um, if you have a bunch of property, you could substitute other property for, for the lien, you know, in mm -hmm. other words, I'll give you, you know, but it usually takes three times the value. So I'll give you these three properties over here. You can put liens on them to get, to get this one clear. And I don't, right, but honestly, I don't know many people who really want to do that. 
Right. Uh, or many people that might have three other, five other properties lying around. <laughs> right. Okay. So that are free and clear. Yes. So, uh, sure. yeah, so anyway, that, um, that there are ways, but it's, it's rare. I mean, and it's hard. Mm -hmm. and nobody, including the IRS is really wanting to give you this. I mean, it's not like something that they just, Oh yeah, sure. We'll, we'll let you, we'll take our lien off. You know, that, that's mm -hmm. just that's not going to happen. I, I sure. Sure. Talk about, um, like notice and the, and we get, a, maybe uh -huh. you can shed some light on this too, because we get a lot of people who say, well, I didn't know I had a tax lien. Well, they never gave me a letter. They never notified me. Um, and I know that we speak to clients daily about, about that and even potential clients. So, well, first, before we go to Jess, I, I, I'd like to point out at the lien and it's a, it is a very common misconception. Mm -hmm. Actually, the law the laws provides that the lien arises the moment. You're gonna get technical now, yeah, huh? The moment the tax payment. <laughs> no, uh, it's one thing I can remember. I guess uh, the, the lien the lien the lien arises the moment the taxpayer has a liability. So the actual filing of the lien in the right. courthouse is just for notice for third parties. So when somebody comes into my office, they already have a lien. If they have a tax liability, they already have a lien, even though it may not be recorded at the courthouse. The lien is in place. So what does that mean with respect to third parties? Uh, you know, it's not valid, but you know, so technically the lien is already there, but anyway, go ahead, Jess. I'm mm -hmm. That's true. It's one thing I can remember. So I had to tell you. <laughs> yeah. So is your question for me about um, when they file it or kind of my yeah. thoughts on when it really becomes an ancillary issue for a taxpayer? Oh, I think, you know, to, to kind of jump off of what Carrie said, you know, why do, why do, you know, why do clients not get notice or feel like they have proper notice? What, what, are, what does that look like and uh, present itself? So at, at the end of the day, we want a lot of clients want to argue that to the IRS, well, you never gave me notice. Um, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What we typically see a lot is that the IRS files a lien and they're going to send certified mail to the last known address that they have. So uh, sometimes with some of our clients, they haven't filed a return and, you know, five years. And so the last known address that the IRS has is whatever was listed on that return six years ago. And so, you know, I, I think the IRS has to try to send you notice, but I, you know, they really don't need to prove that you receive that notice and are officially on notice. You know, they had to attempt to put you mm -hmm. on notice. So I think that's a lot of times or other times maybe like the IRS issue is so big that they're getting certified mail left and right and probably not opening it or not really understanding what it means. Um, so I think that's usually when we see the questions or the issues about, did I even know about this? Mm -hmm. um, I, honestly, in our experience, I have found that the more common way that people know they have a lien is the junk mail that they get from some of those national tax relief companies that pretend mm. to be tax liens or, you know, <laughs> look really close to a tax lien. Sure. Um, you know, I think Angie and Carrie, you guys have probably spoken to clients who said the same thing. Like, uh, you know, I didn't really know this was happening, but then my inbox, you know, in the mailbox was flooded with all of these different companies telling me they could do all of these different things. Um, so I think, you know, if the IRS didn't put you on notice, I'd be surprised if some of those national tax marketing relief companies did not. Right, um, right. And we get a lot of people who bring in copies of these letters that look like liens. Like, you know, if you aren't, if you don't have the trained eye mm -hmm. to know, like, this is not from the IRS. Like a lot of them truly look like they're coming from a legitimate taxing authority. Um, so mm -hmm. I think that's usually what we see as far as people being put on notice. Right, guys? Yeah. And, and to, re to reiterate the point that Jess made, it was very important. 
because I deal with it all the time. Um, the IRS notice requirement is proof of mailing. So all the IRS has to do is show they mailed it. They don't have to show that you received it, you read it or anything. Unlike any, in any other case in law, you have to prove receipt. Yeah. You don't have to prove receipt. All they have to wow. prove is mailing, which is, a, you know, that's very easy to do. I mailed it. Sure. Then it's Definitely. Address. It's like Jess said, to what address? Well, it's the last address on the record. So if you haven't filed a tax return and you lived, you know, five years ago, you lived on Oak Street. Mm. And now you live on Elm Street. Well, yeah, Elm to Oak Street. That's fine. So, right, it it is. You know, yeah. it's, it's a very hard thing to to say that. Oh, I didn't get it. Well, it, I mean, it, that's sure. not that you're going to so, really about. So, so that first phase here is that submission of the ancillary request, whether it be that penalty abatement process or the lien relief that maybe you guys are going after for a given client. But then phase two of this process hits, and that's what can always be the favorite part of everybody, the legal negotiations. So once that request is made and you guys are going back and forth with the IRS, um, Carrie, you had mentioned earlier that sometimes you, you, know, you make a request, they approve it, but it's not even enacted. You know, you've got to make sure that it is, in fact, enacted and, you know, the abatements are coming through. You know, so so talk to us about this legal negotiations phase. Really, what is the final, final thing that a client has to go through uh, before they can, you know, move beyond this tax related issue in their life? What do these final legal negotiations look like? Well, I can kind of take that one if you guys want me to. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. Um. I think, you know, again, similar to a penalty abatement, it's not always necessary. So I think it's important to know that not every case requires any of these ancillary items. These are kind of those mm. extras. Sure. Um, but in the negotiation process, and, and it differs depending on the type of request you make. Like if you're making a, a lien release request because you're going to pay the balance in full, you know, it's really as simple as getting the funds. A lot of times we recommend it be certified funds to expedite the process and things like that remitting the funds and making sure that we get a lien release, you know, from the mm -hmm. IRS. So, you know, that looks a little bit different than if we're doing some type of lien subordination request, you're having to provide documentation that whether it be that you're trying to pull equity out, you know, that you're going to pay that to the IRS, or if you're trying to refinance to get maybe a lower interest rate and reduce your monthly payments, that that's going to mean that you can pay more money to the IRS per month, every month. Um, so in lien subordination requests or lien discharge requests, you really have to show the IRS that it's going to benefit them to do those things. Um, mm -hmm. So it really requires, similar to like you mentioned before with the penalty abatement, a lot of documentation. Um, you know, so we're working collaboratively often with the mortgage lender that the taxpayer may be working with or the realtor that the taxpayer may be working with to get all that information and compile that request, you know, and use it in our negotiation efforts. Wouldn't you guys agree? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was focusing honing in more on the penalty abatement process. So, you know, liens are pretty cut and dry in, in the sense that, you know, we're going to we kind of know the next steps and can predict very clearly what, what's going to happen um, because of the nature of just the lien, the way they are streets liens, but, and it's, it's more objective, but so penalty abatements are a little, um, a little more gray in the sense that you're basically pleading a case and we try to um, put a lot of emotion into those uh, for our clients, because I think that's where a lot of practitioners miss the mark and lawyers are, particularly trained to prove a case, right? So we know that if we're going to argue that um, 
you know, Kerry lost his records in a hurricane and then he lost his business and then his, his, all of his records flooded and his wife got sick, you know, or he was taking care of a parent. We know that to, to, to bolster that claim that we would produce, um, you know, the de declaration disaster from the IRS, um, pictures of the flood, uh, medical records uh, contemporaneous with the tax period showing the illness. So um, we would put all of that together, like, you know, and, and, and create the story and, and make the submission. But I'm going to, I mean, basically nine out of 10 of those submissions get denied. <laughs> uh, I would say at least 90%. The first response we get is, oh, it's going to take us a long time, 120 days, to at least, you know, a year. Uh, then it gets denied and then we have to appeal. So as, as part of the process, we've got to babysit the, the, the file, make sure it doesn't get, something doesn't go weird uh, paperwork wise. And then we get the denial letter, which is basically what we're expecting most of the time. And then we perfect the appeal timely. And really where we get the most traction is on appeals. Uh, and mm -hmm. those are the folks that have the, the better, more discretion, and we're able to negotiate more with. Uh, so in terms of what that process looks like, it's, you know, make a good record, submit some good proof. And Jess is really good at that. I mean, uh, she she has done some great work for us there. And then um, make sure that we watch it so that we don't miss the appeal deadline. Um, and, and, and point out, that's I would say it's not quick. It's a slow so, boat. Unless, slow unless, boat. unless, I mean, because most people are dealing not with a revenue. Yeah. Officer. Uh, I mean, if it's not if it's not with a revenue officer, it, it. I mean, I'm talking years, not months. I mean, this is a process. I get lost. Yes, and then and then, like Angie said, you can expect it to come back after two years denied. Yeah. Really, with very little explanation, and then you got to appeal, and then then you start really. So it's a very long process. I don't want I don't want anybody mm -hmm. thinking something you do really quick here. Right. Sure, um, sure. Yeah. And that is a great point. And, and in my experience, the appeals is really the only place where you're going to actually get to speak to someone at the IRS. Like a lot of the initial request is via mail, you know, like here's our request, like no, yes or no, you know, you get that initially. Um, sometimes they say yes, you know, it's rare, like Angie said, Not, most of the time you're going to have to appeal, but I, mm -hmm. I prefer to argue a, a penalty abatement on appeals. I want to have a conversation with someone at the IRS to truly prove yeah. the client's case, make sure they reviewed all the records and, and really understand what happened. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good thing to add about appeals. Well, yeah, absolutely. And guys, one one big thing and take home for, for anybody in our audience is as we've been going through, you know, cover to cover on really the tax resolution process as a whole that you guys offer and, and really work through on a day to day basis over at the Bryson Law Firm. One thing that's been a common thread is, boy, does it help to have a professional in your corner? I mean, there's a lot of steps very methodical actions that need to be taken throughout this process to finally get this tax burden, this tax related issue off your back. So when you take that shot, let's make sure you do it right and have that professional in your corner. And that's, that's been a common thread. I think that we've been, you know, really seeing throughout this entire process. So that being said, if anybody out in our audience is, you know, they're listening to this conversation around ancillary items thinking, man, I thought we were done. But, oh, now there's this one other thing we got to go through. And, and maybe, maybe they're thinking about, I, I, I really don't have the 
bandwidth myself to be able to tackle this issue. I need help doing it. What would you guys say is the best way that anybody out there should reach out to your office just to get a conversation started to see if maybe there's a fit there and you guys can help them get that tax related issue that maybe they've been putting off for years, finally off their plate. You know, what would be the best way they could reach out to you guys? I was going. I was waiting for Jess to answer. I would go to. I would, <laughs> yeah. I would go to. We Bryce. have so many different ways you can reach out to us here at Bryson Law We try and be so accessible as possible. Um, you can, of course, call us at any of our office numbers, which are on our website. You can website chat us. You can send us an email through our website. Um, you know, I would say whatever's comfortable for the person who's dealing with the tax problem, reach out in that way because um, we have a plethora of different ways to contact us. Um, we'll get back with you right away. And we love to sit down and have an initial consultation, which we do not charge for. You know, we offer free consultations and we're happy to sit down and kind of go over what your needs are and, and what your goals are and, and see if we can't be a good fit to kind of assist you in executing on those moving forward. I mean, Fantastic. I, I, I would say that too, just if we don't feel like, and I, I know I speak for Carrie, just if, if we don't feel like we can help someone or it's, you know, they, they can do it on their own or we can get kind of guide them in a better way. We'll tell, we do tell people that it's, it, we're not going to onboard a client that can, um, doesn't really need our assistance. I mean, of mm -hmm. course we can help everyone, but it, you know, we've got to understand the value to that, to those clients. So sure. Rest assured that you're going to get good advice and even, you know, in your free consultation and honest uh, transparency uh, from our team. Yeah. Yeah. And we may not have all the answers in the consultation, you know, um, but we'll have a plan. And I think that's the that's the perfect first start. And I think that honestly is enough comfort for a client, you know, to know like, OK, there's a plan. There's a way out of this situation that I'm in. Awesome. Well, guys, look, I appreciate you all taking some time out of your busy days. Karen, Angie, you got a company to run. Jessica, you got clients to serve. I uh, appreciate you guys being with us to, to talk about these ancillary items, really this final step in the overall tax resolution process. And uh, I'm looking forward to having you guys back on and Jessica, maybe again for a future episode. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, come on, I'd like to throw out one little tax tip, though, because we were talking. Oh, let's do it. it. Popped up in my head. So, and, and, and one, of the, one of the points that Angie said was, you know, if you could do something yourself, certainly, I mean, I have several cases like, look, this is, you can do this one yourself. You don't need us to do it. Sure. But we were talking about penalty abatements and we spent a lot of time on, on reasonable cause penalty abatement. And Jess mentioned early on that there's two kinds, you know, there's the first time penalty abatement, but we didn't spend a lot of time talking about that one. And that's something that, that it's under this, that, that initiative. And people, people really don't know that, you know, everybody, every U.S. taxpayer has this one-time, one-shot penalty abatement that they can use for anything. And it sounds great, you know, but a lot of times I'll caution you, I mean, and it is, it is a great thing, don't, don't get me wrong, but be careful, use it wisely. Uh, and, that, and that's because and that's, and that's, it is only one time. You're only going to get one shot at this thing. So don't go, you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend waiving or, or getting a, a $5 penalty waived. You may want to keep that in your back pocket for $5 would be my first little tax tip. Just use it wisely. Uh, and secondly, when you do use it, make sure if you're, if you're on the one on the phone, you make absolutely sure that you, you pick the penalty and you pick the time. Yeah. Yes. Because if you just say, I want to use my penalty payment, the IRS is going to go find the lowest penalty, that 30 cent penalty, that they have on your account and they're going to use it for there. And then it's gone forever. Once they use it, it's used. 
So you just mm. make you get your highest penalty and then you use it because it's only it's not all the penalties for one year. It's only going to be one type, one penalty. It's only one penalty. So you just got to know that. And little, that's a great that little tax tip. You just be. Mm -hmm. That's a great point, Carrie. Yeah. And you also have to be mindful of time, right? Like, you know, penalties and interest continue to accrue until someone's balance is zero. So if you request it today, they're going to waive the late filing penalties you have on your account today or the late payment penalties that you have on your account today. So there's like kind of a, a time, you know, thing that we like to gauge when we make it. So that's a great mm -hmm. point, Carrie. And, and to add to that, yeah, it's nice to have a professional who can look at it holistically and say, you know, here's the year we want to request it for, but we don't want to do that until here, you know, this day or when mm -hmm. this happens. Yeah, right. Again, one, one final time comes back to having a, a professional in your corner to help you through and make some of these calculated decisions and strategies with you. So, guys, look, again, appreciate you all and your time jumping through this stuff today. Uh, we'll leave you with that tax tip to our audience. But uh, you guys take it easy and have a go in today, all right? Yep. Oh, you're right. Happy Easter, everybody. <laughs> indeed indeed and look we want to take one final moment and thank you guys our audience as always for jumping aboard being with us here on the live stream or the podcast episode today do us a favor if you liked what you saw you benefited from anything that was discussed today on the show hit that like button go ahead and leave us a comment below share this information with friends or family anybody that really would benefit from these types of tax related discussions because at the end of the day you know we're trying to bring those same strategies and solutions that the Brysons are using on a regular basis and bring them right to you on this show here so we've got some great conversations teed up for some future episodes and we would hate to have you miss out on any of those so for the Brysons and for Jessica I'm Ryan Ruff we're going to go ahead and say so long today but we appreciate you one final time being with us here on today's episode of Talking Tax.